Well, if you don't know me, my name is Joshua Shedder. I'm the pastor of Redeeming Grace Bible Church. We meet in Morton. And Riley wanted the week off for some reason. I don't know why. Um, it has to do with Asher. Or is Riley? Hey, Riley. I thought I heard you singing behind me. He has a good voice. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be in verse 13 through 19. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ. When he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So this passage, when I was in probably high school or college, when I really came to look at it, uh, when I was reading through the scriptures really um, front back for the first time, it kind of tripped me up because my understanding of the resurrection through my childhood, and, it, and the reason I bring this up is maybe the same for you, my understanding of the resurrection through my childhood was that it, it was a, a nice bonus. It was that we were saved at the cross, and then the resurrection is just kind of a, oh yeah, that's, that's nice too. So Easter Sundays, I'll go to church. And, and people would say, oh, you know, he's risen, it's great. And I would say, yeah, that's a good thing, but weren't we saved at the cross? So then what's the purpose of the resurrection? If our salvation is accomplished at the cross, is the resurrection just a chance for us to get together and, and eat and look for eggs? What, what, what is the purpose? So when I came to passages like 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has some pretty stark language Preaching is in vain. Faith is in vain. If he is not raised, then we are liars, he says. Your, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. So I had to reckon with that. And, and over time, through study and, and reading the scriptures, I came to understand that the, the resurrection is so much more than God merely showing that he accepted Christ's sacrifice. Often, if you read scholars, commentators, they'll say that the resurrection is God showing that he accepted Christ's sacrifice. And that is true. But I always didn't understand how that, like, that my salvation was in the sacrifice, not in God showing that he accepted the sacrifice. So how does this, how does it fit? So as we see here, as I mentioned, Paul says, our preaching is in vain if he's not raised. Our, your faith is in vain if he's not raised. Paul is a liar if he's not raised. Your faith is worthless if there's no resurrection. There's no resurrection, we are still in our sins. If there's no resurrection, those who have died or fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And number seven, if there's no resurrection, we have a hope in this life only. So if we were to understand what Paul's saying here, he's essentially saying if there's no resurrection, 
then the gospel is not true. If there is no resurrection, then the gospel is not true. How can this be? How is this right? Well, I want you to notice three things. Look at verse 12, first of all. Right above the passage we read. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now notice what Paul is doing. He says, if Christ is preached, okay, Paul, what's the content of Christ being preached? That he has been raised from the dead. So Paul is saying that the resurrection is so central, you can't leave it out. You don't say, I'm saved at the cross, and then forget the resurrection. That's oftentimes, really, that's the mistake that Roman Catholic theologians, churches make. If you look at a cross in a Catholic church, where is Jesus? He's on the cross. There's no empty cross. He's still on the cross. And so it's almost as if they are leaving out that in their understanding of salvation. But it's so central that Paul says, if Christ is preached, you have to preach that he has been raised from the dead. In verse 12. It's not an add-on. It's not a bonus round. It's central. Go down to verse 18. Verse 18 and 19, I think, helps us get a handle on what Paul means. In verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, then death is the end. The people who have died in Christ have truly perished. In other words, death has defeated them. They are in hell. This is kind of a strange thing to think, that they died in Christ and yet they're in hell. Well, verse 19 says, if there is no resurrection, essentially, then our hope is in this life only. That's what he says. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. So the resurrection means that our hope extends into the next life. If, if Christ has not been raised, then our hope in Christ is limited to this world. If Christ has not been raised. But if he is raised, then our hope extends into eternal life. Because we are raised with him. So how can this be the case? I think Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 helps us out. If you want to turn there, Romans chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. Romans 5, 9 and 10. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice this comes after the famous verse in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's three things I want you to notice in verses 9 and 10. Notice first the much more. We have in verse 9, much more than. And then verse 10, he says, reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Paul is saying, if this is true in the present, then it will certainly be true that God will, will grant us this in the future. So if we are reconciled, we, we are justified, 
in the present, or in the past, actually, in the past, by his blood, by his death, then much more will we be saved in the future by his life. So if, we, if God has already given us this, then will he not also give us this? That's where the much more is. Now, the two other things to notice here, the, 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 the past and the future, the past and the future. So he says in verse 9, much more than having now been justified. So this has happened already. This has happened in the past. So, and in the present, we are justified because we have been justified by his blood. And then verse 10, that, that past tense is, we were reconciled to God, how? Through the death of his son or through his blood. We have been justified. We have been reconciled, past tense. But then there's a future tense in verses 9 and 10 as well. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In verse 10, we shall be saved by his life. And so I think this helps us understand how the resurrection plays into this. So put very simply, we are reconciled, we are justified by the cross. That's what he says in verse 9, by his blood. In verse 10, through the death. We are justified, we are reconciled to God through the cross. So we are right with God, we are made right with God, we are, we are declared right with God being justified, and we are brought back to him, that is to be reconciled. We are brought back to God through the death, as verse 10 says, through the death of his son. And so the resurrection comes in, the latter part of verse 9, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And verse 10, we shall be saved, and this is how we're saved, by his life, meaning his resurrected life. So we are saved from the future wrath of God by the resurrection, by the life of his Son. So what is the wrath of God? What will we be saved from in the future? I think this is death and hell. So if Christ died but was not resurrected, we are still in our sins, Paul says. Because Christ has not defeated death. If he is not resurrected. First Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, helps us think through this. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Notice the future tense and the past tense as we saw in Romans 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Christians should almost say that to each other daily, shouldn't they? God has not destined us for wrath, brother. God has not destined us for wrath, sister. We need that reminder over and over. God has not destined us for wrath, but instead, he has destined us for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you could say, well, Josh, what, or, or you can even ask Paul, Paul, what do you mean? My destiny, my future, is obtaining salvation. Don't I already have that at the cross? Yes. 
And no, you do have salvation in the sense that if you use the word salvation to mean reconciliation and justification, that you are fully accepted in, this, in, in Jesus Christ. You are fully accepted by the Father through the Son fully and finally. But salvation in this context, as we'll see, is a reference to sin and, uh, sorry, to death and hell, to the future, to being saved from the beginning of verse 9, God's wrath. So you're not destined to, to suffer God's wrath, but to be saved from God's wrath, in verse 9, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I think verse 10 helps us understand that. So past tense, we, we attain salvation in the future through our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the past, who died for us. So that's where it's rooted in. Our salvation is rooted in his death. And so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. So you put verses 9 and 10 together, you understand that God's, that salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ means that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning in Paul's language, whether we are dead or alive, we will, on the other side of death, live together with him. So we understand that God is not destined us for this wrath, but he has destined us for this instead of wrath, which is living with him forever, having salvation from the wrath. So that helps us understand by inference that wrath is, is the opposite of living together with him. Wrath is to, is to fall under the judgment of God and, and, and be condemned to hell and to have death be the ultimate word. And I think we can see this. It helps us if we turn to First Thessalonians, or sorry, Second Thessalonians, probably just a page or two over for you. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Paul speaking to, to Christians, he says in verse six, for after all, it is only just for God, just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well. And then here he comes in with the judgment, the day of judgment. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. What's he doing? Verse 8. He's dealing out retribution or judgment to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What will be the result? Verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Notice, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And in verse 10, by contrast, this is the destiny of the saints. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So using this understanding of God's wrath coming on people to have an, almost an eternal death, that word is destruction, that it's almost like an eternal death. So hell is spoken of as an eternal death, where you, you die for eternity away from the presence of the Lord. So if we were to use that understanding back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we can see that God has not destined us for, for, for his wrath to fall on us in the form of eternal death and, and, and separation from him for eternity in hell, but instead he has is, he is, he is destined us for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is we will live together with him forever. How is all this done? But through the resurrection. The resurrection is the thing that saves us from death and hell. Because when Christ is resurrected, those of us who believe in him are resurrected with him. 
And so death isn't the ultimate word. It's not the final word. If Christ is still in the grave, then he has not the keys of death and Hades, as he told, tells John in Revelation. He has come through death and defeated it. Therefore, he has its keys. He controls it. And so we who are in him are raised with him. That's why he's spoken of as the first fruits, that we follow him in resurrection, and that we do not suffer the wrath of God, because Christ has defeated death. He has died for us, and he was raised for us. So the, 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 the resurrection is significant. It's not just an added on bonus. It's not just a, a, a nice thing. Oh, that's nice too, but the cross is really... No, you are saved by the cross and the empty tomb. You are saved by the death of Christ on the cross, and you are saved by the life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if he has not been raised, the gospel is not true. Eternal life comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is something we see throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 40. This is what Jesus says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Well, that eternal life comes because he raises you up on the last day. That he has the, the keys of death and Hades. He has control. He has defeated death. And so he raises us up and gives us eternal life. And we are saved from the wrath of God on sinners, which is death and hell. We are saved from that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So if you are to be free of the consequences of sin, in death and hell, the wrath of God falling, then you must be in Christ. You have to eat of this living bread, and in, in doing so, you will live forever. Verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So Christ is not only our death, as Romans 6 talks about, he's also our life. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In verses 8 through 10, Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. You see, if Christ had not been raised, verse 9 wouldn't work, wouldn't make sense. It says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. Why? Because he rose from the dead. He defeated death. So if Christ has not been raised, if we do not celebrate Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would have to say in verse 9 that death is still a master over him. 
And if that's the case, then death is still a master over us. We are still in our sins, as Paul says. But no, Christ did rise from the dead. And in doing so, he is now the master over death. That's our hope as Christians. We can be raised from the dead because Christ has gone before us. Verses 22 and 23 of the same chapter. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life only comes through the free gift of Christ Jesus our Lord, who was raised from the dead and defeated death. And so we can have eternal life in him because of that. If he hasn't defeated death, there is no eternal life. And finally, 1 John chapter 5. 11 through 13. says this. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is something I warn my people about all the time. It, it can be so tempting, so easy for us to see eternal life or the gospel as separate from Jesus. As if Jesus is a delivery man for eternal life. He's just a delivery man for the gospel. As we see clearly here, God has given us eternal life. And where is that eternal life? It's in his Son. You can't take eternal life you can't take the gospel from Jesus and say, thanks, you go on about your business and then leave him. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Our eternal life, our salvation, past, present, and future, is in Jesus Christ, being united with him in his death and resurrection, as Romans 6 makes clear. I think so many people, especially down south in the Bible, though, they come to church and they they say, Jesus is offering this to you. And they say, oh, great, thanks. And they grab it and they leave. And they think, well, I'm saved because Jesus gave me this. No, you're saved because Jesus gives you himself. You are in him. You're united with him. So when you leave the church, you're in him. That's going to necessarily affect how you live and how you see things, right? Your salvation is Jesus Christ. Your eternal life is Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's saying, I, I have shown you Christ and you, and you may know you have eternal life by, by looking at Jesus Christ and understanding what, what that means for, the, for your life in the context of 1 John. That if you are in the Son, you have eternal life and by His Spirit He has changed you and is changed. So a few points of application for the unbeliever, the person who has not trusted in Christ for salvation, or the one who thinks they have salvation, but it's something they just took from Christ and they just left Christ alone. Let me urge you 
to trust in the atoning death and life-giving resurrection of Jesus for you. Because if you do not trust him, you will end up paying the penalty that we saw in First Thessalonians, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. You will end up paying the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Why? Because Christ has not saved you ultimately in the future from the wrath of God falling on you. And so you will suffer the penalty of eternal destruction. God will deal out retribution to you because you do not know God, verse 8, and you do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so you are in eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Instead, what I hope for you, pray for you, is that you will be verse 10, not verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 1. Because it's the people who are under God's wrath are paying the penalty. Those who believe in Jesus Christ in verse 10 are marveling at him. He comes to be glorified in them and to be marveled at him, to be mar for them to be marveled at him. We see God's glory in us on that day. We marvel at his goodness and grace in saving us. So I urge you, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are not a believer, put your faith and trust in him. Understand your sin. Understand that at the cross he paid for your sin and that being raised from the dead, he has defeated death for you. And trust his payment for your sin and trust his being raised from the dead for your resurrection. Secondly, for the believer that's here, I urge you to celebrate the life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember that Easter commemorates your resurrection with Christ as well. I know in the church these days it's popular in some circles to go to a church that is, is, is about the prosperity gospel. Or that you go, you go to church and you, and you read your Bible and you do all these things because God wants you to be happy and healthy and all these things. He wants you to be in a good mood and wants you to have, be financially successful and all these things. When scripture over and over is, is beating you down, it's humbling you. It's showing you your sin, your dep depravity. That, that Christ didn't come to die for sinners, to die for you because you were worth dying for. Christ came to die for sinners because he is worthy, he is glorious, he is full of love. And so when we understand our sin, we understand our wretchedness, when we look at Easter with that in mind, we can be blown away that he would die for me and raise me from the dead in his resurrection, knowing what I am. And so churches that, that preach positive, feel-good messages aren't doing anyone a favor. In fact, they're hurting people. It's heresy. They're building up people's pride, and, and God wants you to feel good. No, God is about his glory, and he is no more glorious when he does these amazing things, when we read the gospel and understand his death on the cross for sinners, and his resurrection and saving us from the wrath of God, that he's doing it for such as us. As the scriptures make clear, we are nowhere near worthy. We are dead. Rebels against his goodness and glory. 
And so when we come together on Easter, we say, Lord God is this, does this. That he would do it for me. Let me urge you, Christian, to have that viewpoint. That sinner such as you are, Easter commemorates your resurrection in Jesus Christ as well. Not because he saw you and said, well, I'll go ahead and take him along. He'll be useful in heaven. No, because he said, I'm going to save, because that's what I do. I'm going to save for my glory. I'm going to save this unworthy person. And I'm going to raise him with me in the heavenly places. As Ephesians says, isn't that crazy? In the heavenly places. You, me, in the heavenly places. I'd also urge you as a believer to teach your kids what it means to be saved from the wrath to come through the resurrection. I wish I was taught that as a kid. I was more focused on getting eggs and eating good food. I wish my parents had said, this is the purpose, this is the significance of the resurrection, that in the resurrection, you are raised. In the resurrection, you are saved in the future from death and hell. It all goes together, the death of Christ, the, the resurrection of Christ, goes together. You can't separate them. They're, they're together because if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, God-glorifying story. Tell it to your kids. And then remember that death will not hold us. And how do we know it? It didn't hold him. Death will not hold us. We know it because it didn't hold him. He is the first fruits. And we follow him as believers. We follow him as those who trust in his name. We follow him in resurrection. So to go back to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, our preaching is not in vain. There is a resurrection. Our faith is not in vain. There is a resurrection. Paul has not lied. Paul and the apostles have not lied. I'm not lying. There is a resurrection. Our faith is fully worthwhile. It's not worthless. There is a resurrection. We are no longer in our sins. We have been set free from sin. There is a resurrection. Those who died in Christ have not perished, but are home with the Lord. Why? There is a resurrection. And finally, we have hope in this life and the next. Why? Because there is a resurrection. Let's pray. Father, when we understand your word and what it says about us, Our sins separate us from you. That we are rebellious, wicked, wretched sinners. When we come to the truth of the resurrection, we are in awe. That you chose to raise us with your Son. You chose to defeat death by sending your perfect Son to die. And go through death. We can't help but look at hope, understanding that we 
are not hoping just in this life, but we're hoping in the next, because Christ has gone through that veil. So when we're fearful, when we wonder, when we lose loved ones, and we can't peer through that veil of death, we know our Savior Jesus has gone through it and defeated it. He holds the keys of death and hell. So the resurrection is not an add-on to the gospel story. The resurrection is central along the death of your Son that saves us from your wrath. Father, help us to be joyful and to speak about it, to not trivialize it, to not see it as just another holiday, to hang out with family, but to celebrate your goodness in raising your son and defeating death, giving us hope, but also raising us with him and seating us in the heavenly places. For this we give you all the honor and glory as you alone deserve it. And we look forward to the day when we stand in the new heavens and new earth and we say, worthy are you, the Lamb, because you ransomed men from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You did it. You ransomed it. You saved it. So worthy are you to receive all the honor and glory always. In the precious name of the Lamb, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.